Welcome to the Women's Playbook, a show by and about women business owners. And this show is also for anyone who's trying to do business in what we now call the new normal, which means you must take account of the rising economic impact of women around the world who are now accounting for a billion new customers and revenue generators over the next decade, say between 2010 and 2020. I'm your host, Joanna L. Croats. Today, we're fortunate to have Nelly Yusupova with us as a guest. And Nelly has a terrific and honed ability to make sense of the complications of technology and tech development for people who are not particularly skilled in non-tech who are running businesses, so non-tech entrepreneurs. She's been a pioneer in women's online development and community for the past 15 years, so starting early and blooming. As Chief Technology Officer of Web Girls International, that's webgirls, G-R-R-L-S, webgrrls.com, Nellie is responsible for building and maintaining the technical infrastructure that supports Web Girls' 100 chapters in the U.S. and around the world, and I just learned they have 30,000 members as a subscription model. As the founder as well of Digital Woman Consultancy, that's digitalwoman.com, W-O-M-A-N, digitalwoman.com, or on Twitter for Nellie, at Digital Woman. Nellie also works as a corporate trainer, a speaker, and workshop presenter across the country, so pretty much tireless. <laughs> Over the years, she's heard a ton of stories about how technology tripped up business owners. As Nellie puts it, bootstrap money and years of planning go down the drain when you can't optimize or even understand the tech side of your business. So to combat such disasters, Nellie crafted a series of seminars and boot camps. Some of them focus on specific apps or tech marketing, like leveraging the benefits of Twitter chat or Reddit. Others are intense, practical workshops over two days' time. And all of them are designed to help entrepreneurs communicate with and manage their tech teams. So startups can keep moving forward effectively, efficiently, affordably, (laughs) and growing in all the right ways. Welcome, Nellie. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. So let's um, get started with how you became engaged in this mission to educate non-tech ed- entrepreneurs with the the, um, the language and the knowledge to manage their IT teams. Where did all this inspiration come from? Well, it came from talking to lots and lots of entrepreneurs. Um, I speak across the country. I do workshops. And just uh, after every event that I did, Entrepreneurs came flocking to me, asking me questions and telling me their stories. And I felt like I was a tech doctor, a female entrepreneur who is a techie, which is very rare. And I think just naturally people trusted me with their failure stories, with their um, horror stories, what I call them. And after a while, I just couldn't believe that these mistakes were happening these mistakes were so easy to fix if the entrepreneur knew how to communicate properly with developers, how to tell them what to do, how to ask for requirements and be able to manage the project efficiently. So TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs was born in September of 2012. Um, I took three months to create the curriculum and it did really, really well. I so far have done eight boot camps. Wow. And how many people have gone through them? Do you know? Uh, we had anywhere from 35 to 50 people in them. Wow. Are they mostly women or no? It's actually uh, mostly women, about 60% women, but about 40% of them are men. So it's like you have this MD and it's like, doctor, doctor, I have this (laughs) backache. Could you just... (laughs) So part of it must be because 
as you say, it's unusual to have a woman with those kind of chops, especially starting in the dot-com time, which is when you began. Absolutely. I think women in technology is a rare thing. Um, I would have never happened, I think, had I not been an immigrant and had this mentality of uh, overcoming fear and hardship and just keep going no matter how hard things were. Well, tell us a little about your backstory because it's pretty singular. Sure. Thank you. Um, I actually turned on the computer for the first time in college. I decided to major in computer science without embarrassingly knowing what it was. I thought that if I went to do computer science, it would be to learn how to use Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel really, really well. And um, got into a night class, which which I felt like I was a teenager in <laughs> in this grown-up world. Um, I didn't understand anything that was said in the computer science class. It was just like being in in school for the first time. When and this came, was in New York City. Yeah, yes, it was yeah. in New York City. Um, I when I first came to the United States as a teenager, I went to school and that first day in school where you listen to the teacher speak English and you don't understand a word of it, I felt just like that in my computer science class. Um, but I decided that I, I needed to keep going because giving up and failing was not an option. And I just made myself promise, I promised myself to get an A and worked really, really hard. I asked a lot of questions. Um, and I think I was oblivious to the fact that I was one of the few women in the class because I was so focused on what needed to be done. So do you have particular mathematical ability? Is that where your bent is generally? Or it's just that when you turned on that computer, you would just, I have to learn everything in front of me. Was there some special calling? I did. I was good in math. Um, I came from Russia, so uh, when I came to the United States, I felt like I was way above average, uh, so that helped. But I never had any inclination. I never had a computer. I didn't grow up with technology. In fact, I feel like we were about 30 years behind in terms of technology from where I came from. Uh, I came from Tajikistan, which is part of the former Soviet Union, and we didn't have technology there. We didn't even have phones. <laughs> and that's way east, right? In yes, it's in Southeast Asia. Yeah. So um, what's the worst story you ever heard about tech disasters and what could have been done to prevent it? Well, the story that I use as the catalyst of what started TechSpeak, because uh, I heard so many stories before that, and then there was this woman that I knew personally. Uh, she attended a boot camp uh, or a workshop that I did through WebGirls, and a few months later she calls me up and she says, Nelly, kind of frantic and desperate, she says, Nelly, I have... Uh, a situation, I'm hoping you can help me with it. And she proceeded to tell me that she's been working with this tech person uh, for the last year, and she's paid her $60,000. Wow. <laughs> and that wasn't even the worst of it. She says over this year, she's, she's um, been going back and forth and uh, hasn't seen any anything of uh, uh, it. So there's no product, there's no coding. She's, and what was her business exactly? Uh, she, uh, I, I signed an NDA, so I can't talk about the specific oh, okay. business, but she had an idea for a web application okay. uh, in the food space. So she worked with this developer for over a year, hadn't seen a line of code from her. And um, the worst of it was, she says, I just got off the phone with her 
and she wants another $25,000 to finish the project. Now, that's a horror story. As she proceeded to tell me the story, I heard so many red flags. Um, And you can also spot the red flags once you know the process, once you know how things should be done, how people should be communicating to you. And that's when um, I decided that I had to teach people the process so that they can spot the red flags themselves. Well, it's, what are those? There's so many. Um, so the, for her specifically, the very first bad red flag in my mind was they wanted to be partners in the business. Uh, she was going to be a co-founder. And something happened where they disagreed on a lot of different things and they couldn't agree and work together from the start. So they decided that she was going to pay her instead. I see. Right. Like that's a huge red flag. You should never go into business with anyone that you can't agree on anything with and that you don't trust. Because being in a partnership is just like being married. Yeah, you spend so much time with that person working on a business day in and day out, day in and day out. So, so it's interesting somehow. And I think if there had been a partner, I'm guessing, speculating with this woman, if it would had been marketing, if it had been even financing, which tends to be more cut and dried, she would never have, I don't know, delegated her, 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 her authority in those arenas. But somehow you think there's someone I know I, I don't trust, I don't agree with, but tech is going to be cut and dried. Somehow that's an operational aspect. And do people make that mistake a lot? They think, oh, well, tech doesn't really come into it as an authoritative partnership. Absolutely. I think women automatically check out when it comes to tech. They completely put trust into their tech person to figure everything else out. And I'm of the thought process that technology should be supporting your business, not the other way around. So if the business person or the marketing person, whoever you are, like the business side of it, doesn't communicate properly with a tech person and really give them the customer feedback, give them the ideas that you have for the application that you're building, you're never going to be a success. So what is this, um, thank you, what is this methodology that you have, um, that you give across in your, in your boot camp that um, comes out of keeping it lean, keeping it agile? I mean, we hear a lot about bootstrapping and being nimble, and that's become a cliche of startup, but you have a more specific, systematic way of going about it. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So I use lean and agile methodologies. Uh, before I can explain that, I actually sh- uh, want to talk about the classic way of approaching sure. uh, a problem. So in general, we take we have an idea, we uh, raise money for it, somehow we figure out how, how we're going to pay for it. Then we take six months to a year to build it. And then we launch it. And then we get customer feedback. And only then we realize whether or not we could be success. And yes, you could get lucky and hit that on this spot right from the beginning. But you can, most, most of the time, what you realize is that you've either built the wrong solution or you targeted the wrong market or something was off. So customers aren't using your product. And that's a really, really high risk in terms of doing a business. You've just spent six months to a year. You wasted all of that time because you have to redo it. The whole idea behind Lean is taking this big idea 
and first validating it so that you can understand the problem that you're solving, really understand it, and not just saying, like, I think this is a problem, and then the rest of the world has it as well. You need to make sure that the rest of the world has it as well by talking to them and bringing customer feedback early on in the process. And so you take this big idea and you break it up into small little chunks that you can iterate very quickly on. The sooner you launch the product, the sooner you can get feedback, the sooner you can start learning, and the sooner you can start uh, refining your product and making it successful. Okay, um, we're um, actually at a point where I think it would be a good idea to take a break rather than move into a a new um, tangent, which I'm going to get into, and that's the agile part of the lean. So let's uh, take a a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes with Nelly Yusupova. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Bonjour, this is Dominique de Coq. Bonjour, c'est Tamara Zuboff. Bonjour, c'est Asania Kone. We are hosting Pardon My French New York City. Our guests come from all over the world. From Mali to New Caledonia, from Paris to Quebec. French is a common language, yet they all come from different cultures, backgrounds, or countries. And their common desire is to make New York their home. Listen to them share their stories. Join us at Pardon My French New York City every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back. This is the Women's Playbook. We're here with Nelly Yusupova, who is um, taking us to school with uh, TechSpeak and explaining the facets of launching a business and making it work in terms of with your development team and with um, coding and IT apps, sites, software. So one of the things that uh, people tend to overlook or, or um, I guess, get ahead of themselves in thinking about is that they have an idea and then they decide they need technology right away. Is that, um, is that a, a good thing to do? Well, I think that's very short-sighted um, on the side of the entrepreneur. Um, I always say that a product development process, if you can imagine 10 te- steps, so there's 10 steps in to be able to take a, a product from an idea to 
to um, to launch. Writing code is step number eight. That means there's seven steps that you can do that absolutely don't involve writing code that are absolutely essential. Well, why is it? That, do people get anxious? They think they need to see a website to make it real? I mean, why? It, that would seem obvious that you need to think about customers and market and financing and all these things that go into building a business. Why is it that technology somehow jumps to the front? Because I think that people... Uh, think that that's the next step. I just don't even think they realize that there are steps to do before that. Um, and so one, when I teach it at TechSpeak, it's obvious. People are like, oh my God, this is so innovative. And I think to myself, well, we've been doing that for many, many years. So I think it's just the lack of knowledge and no one's teaching that anywhere. There's No one's teaching this in school. No one's teaching it in uh, in entrepreneurship classes, but this is the most efficient way to build a business because to me, 90% of success in a, a web project is planning and the successful part of actual development is project management. So if you can plan and know how to project manage, everything else should work well. It should. I came out of magazines, you know, and print and had to really learn some lessons about digital. And I can remember um, being aghast at how much forward planning was required. I was used to just moving elements around on a page or even on a screen when we were digitally printing. You can just take an image and move it over. Oh, it looks better on the right. Let's just show. And then when you get to any kind of infrastructure and any kind of web development, it is just agonizingly impossible to change things once they're right. I mean, it's just not cost-effective. So I imagine that that really gets gets in the way. Tell us about the eight steps that you have before you get to the technology and the coding. So the first step is, as we discussed, is validating your idea. Oftentimes, the as soon as the entrepreneur comes up with an idea, it's perfect. And the longer we hang on to it, the more perfect it becomes. So what I first recommend is that you take that idea out of your head and actually make sure that it is a good idea by talking to customers. And there is um, two things that uh, one of the important concepts that I teach uh, in this session is vitamin versus painkiller. A vitamin is a billion-dollar industry, and lots of people take vitamins. The idea behind customer development or validation is so that you can build a painkiller. You can find a painkiller idea. This is something that people will pay you money for. Because as a business, if you want to find an idea that people will pay you money for right away, you have to find a painkiller idea. So a remedy, something that fixes something. Something that fixes a problem. Absolutely. So the step number one is finding the painkiller idea. Step number two is prototyping your idea. And lots of women don't know how to code, but that's not a problem because prototyping shouldn't take any type of coding. There's many different uh, types of prototypes that you can build that we discuss at TechSpeak. Uh, none of them require coding. What, what does that mean exactly, a prototype? Is it just a beta site? Is it a um, wireframe? What, what exactly are you talking about? So there's many different levels. So you can build wireframes first. Um, to and that a wireframe is just a skeleton of what your app or website would look like. Um, and then you can actually add a little bit of design to it because in step number three, you're going to show that prototype to customers. 
you can make it clickable, you can make it interactive, and then you, and if it's a mobile app, you can make it completely seamless and completely fool the person as though that they are using a real application. And this is awe-inspiring for entrepreneurs who don't know how to code, who uh, once they realize how easy this step is, that they can take something working, right? It doesn't have any backend to it. It doesn't really work. From, but from the customer's viewpoint, it does work because so they can, can use it and try it out. Is there some software that you can mention that would do that? Or do you have to work with someone to create that? How to, what, what, what are the solutions? So the easiest, so there's many different softwares. Uh, the easiest one that I would recommend is Balsamic. Um, it's online. You can... Is that B-E? B? Yep. Uh, B-A... Uh, this is a test, right? <laughs> I know. Can I it's spell a, it? That's yeah, okay. B-A-L... Um, I have to write it down. That's okay. <laughs> we'll get to it later. I just... Sometimes when you hear someone say something, the B doesn't come out. So yeah. I was just trying to be clear. It's balsamic. Balsamic. Uh, like so the you, vinegar. Yeah. Like the, like the vinegar. If you Google it, uh, it's balsamic app um, and wireframing app. Thanks. So uh, that's one of the easiest ways to do it. And there's so many different ways uh, you could take anything from wireframing to creating high fidelity prototypes that look real. Um, and the idea, once you show it to customers, is to identify, number one, do they resonate with a solution? When uh, there's a, a startup that I'm working with called Pangea today, and during the prototyping phase, we tried three different ways of presenting the same information. And... If we had coded each one of the solutions that we thought would resonate, it would cost us hundreds of dollars. But we were able to show a solution to customers, identify problems with it, and say, well, no, this is not working. Just Go to, back and just refine to, it. Just to understand this in, in, a, in a visual way, can you give us a little idea of what the differences were among the three? Was it just um, navigation? Was it design? Was it all of the it, above? It was the whole idea behind it. So it's a new site uh, that uh, brings local newspapers to English-speaking people. So it's Pangea Today. International papers. International papers. And we we had we we were covering we were going to cover lots of countries. So when you have a lot of countries, how do you present that information in an easy to understand way? Uh, was a big big challenge, and we weren't sure how to do that. So the first time we um, just had it all kind of open and accessible and we showed it to customers and they're like, this is a great idea, but like way too overwhelming. Yeah. I just can't do it. And so we then, to, based on the feedback, refined it and did a completely new redesign of, uh, and it's not a design, it's a changing the prototype and then showed it to them again. And they said, well, this is better, but I need pictures right? The pictures really are missing from here. And said, we, that's how we actually built the third prototype that we launched um, again. So it's iterations. Just, just, exactly. just to um, actually back up for a sec, I, you don't necessarily need also um, to deal in terms of what finding out what customers want. You don't necessarily need an iteration or a prototype. I re, I'm remembering that Someone we had on the show uh, a few a few shows back, Andrea Lowe, who runs something called piggybacker.com, which is an 
an online uh, site for kids to learn how to give to charities and to raise money for teams and so forth like that. And they went through all these iterations. And she had three different constituencies. So she had teachers, she had parents, and she had the kids themselves. And, and it was hard to get them actually to sit down and talk to her. You can imagine what they're... So she'd created just on a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper yellow post-its that she moved around and said, okay, if you clicked on it. So it, there's just a lot of ways to create that feedback if, you know, you want to m- maybe skip one of the, the technology steps. I mean, the, it's good to know that you don't necessarily have to create each iteration. Absolutely. And what one important point is that prototypes and wireframes are very visual. And we, as human beings, respond to visual things. It uh, cuts down on miscommunications. It helps us clarify what we want. And then later on, when we get to the development phase, you will use these prototypes to communicate them to the developers, right? And that's really important yeah, in I order to minimize the mistakes. So you could say number three is where it's at as opposed to number two, and that would be that would speak volumes, right? That would be Absolutely. tech speak. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you can annotate the wireframes and give them very specific instructions on what needs to happen at this point. And so that is where the all of the miscommunications happen between developers and non-technical per- people. But through the visual wireframes and prototypes, people can communicate very easily uh, in English. Yeah, and you have something tangible to you have something tangible to point to and to to, to talk about. We skipped a few steps, right? Yeah. So, well, so we're now up to step number three, and then step number four is hiring the developer. So oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So hiring is probably the hardest thing to do. Um, what I what I hire for. Uh, While skill set is important to me, you have to be a good, skilled person to actually get your job done. Well, isn't that the first? How do you judge that? Well, I actually don't judge that first. So I leave that as a part two. Okay. What I hire first for is what I call DNA. DNA are characteristics that you're born with. Curiosity, drive, never give up. Like Those are the types of things that you are born with. And barring any kind of huge thing that happens in your life... You carry them with you as an adult. So if you're curious as a child and a learner as a child, you will be a curious learner as an adult. So what I do, uh, and I recommend that every single business person does first before they hire anyone, is to create their company DNA. So those are five things that they care about, the types of people they want working for that company. And then when you do the interview, the first thing that I do is match up my developers or any people, I mean, this works for anyone, but match up my developers against those DNA qualities. And you have to get at least three matches, right? The more matches you get, the better of a fit they will be. Because a great developer in, in one company is not necessarily a good developer in another company. Um, and that happened, that's a big mistake that a lot of people make. So is it personality? Is it? It's personality. It's um matching your company personality to theirs. So if you value transparency and that person is not transparent, uh, that's a big problem. Right. I just want to go into a little back room and be by myself and play with my toys. Exactly. That would be problematic. If you value communication, which is very, very important uh, in, in a developer, then especially your first hire, right? Communication has to be super, super, super uh, important. 
then you have to look for that trait when you hire, right? And then when you do the technical interview, right, once you make sure that they fit, then you get to the the technical interview. And as a non-technical person, what I recommend is getting someone who is technical that you trust to do the technical interview because there's nothing you can do to... Um, to be able to vet someone who, if you don't have the skills. To ask those questions. Um, we're going to take another short break and then be back with Nelly Yusupova, who's going to help us absolutely hire the right developers. Hang on. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power Power Hour, Hour. at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And its limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, this is Joanna Croats at The Woman's Playbook on TalkingAlternative.com. Join us every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. We're talking about the rising she economy and about women entrepreneurs and their growth, their triumphs, and the businesses they run, which is different than the way men run businesses. Every Thursday, 12 to 1 p.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. It will help you start, run, and grow your business. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. This is the Women's Playbook. We're back for the show by and about women entrepreneurs. And today we have the good fortune of hearing from Nelly Yusupova, who is completely expert in tech speak and is the CTO of Web Girls International, which has 30,000 members around the world and across the U.S. So we're talking about what it means to actually launch um, a, a, a business that is web-based, that has software, that has mobile applications, and that is always so daunting when you want to start out. And Nelly has broken this down into really bite-sized, that's B-Y-T-E, and, and we can um, actually learn a lot about how to s- go forward. One of the things we um, want to hear about is that there are 10 steps that she's broken down, and once you hire your development team, what's the next step? So um, once you, well, first, before we, we leave the topic of hiring the developers, there's uh, two more points I'd like to make. Number one is hire, fat, uh, uh, hire slow, fire fast. Um, I've made this mistake. 
um, with one of my star developers. Um, he was absolutely amazing. And all of a sudden he started missing deadlines. Something was going on with him and I just took him on as my pet project and I empowered him. I gave him uh, books and uh, told him what to do and uh, management books. And I tried to um, manage him, but it just wasn't p- possible. And it took me about six months to actually firing him. And what I discovered the next day was my development team was going to walk out had I not fired him. Wow. And so as soon as you have a feeling, right, the, the red flags, we're talking about minimizing mistakes and saving money, Any, every single moment that you are holding on to a bad hire, they're costing you money. They're costing you uh, energy. They're costing you lots of different negative things in the company. But isn't it a trade-off that you have to figure, okay, I need to start again with someone else and bring that person up to speed and find that person. So you're losing more time. It seems to me a very delicate balance. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we hold on to him. And one of the things that you have to do as a business person is make sure we have a bus metaphor is and this is very graphical, like how many people need to die in your business in order for your business to still continue to function, right? So you have to make sure that the knowledge... You mean hit by a bus? Is that what the bus Yes, <laughs> yes, hit by a bus. Um, so you have to make sure that the person uh, who knows something about your technology is not the only person who knows that tech- about the technology, which is one of the biggest reasons why I always say entrepreneurs have to stay involved and not completely delegate because you need to understand the decisions that were made, how everything was set up. Even though you're not technical, even though you're not the coder, you still need to understand what's going on in your business from a tech side. It's not a black box. And as a result, you will actually release yourself of those fears, right? Of the fear that if I fire this person, I'm going to go out of business. It's going to help you hire the next person a lot faster and bring them up to speed a lot faster because you have documentation, you have the trust, you have the knowledge, and all of this stuff needs to be put into the process of your business. Um, and uh, one other thing that I recommend when hiring is to do the test, to do the test drive. No matter how good your interview skills are, no matter how good uh, the process of bringing them on board is. Until you see them in action day in and day out, you won't know how good of a hire is. So you That have means a probationary period? Probation area. There's a lot of startups who now only hire uh, as a freelancer until a three-month uh, three period or whatever their probation period is. And then they'll give you the option to come on board full-time. And sometimes I know a, um, a, a startup that is now very successful that were um, game, online game developers that down on uh, Chelsea called Arcadium. And they started with hiring cheap. So they hired uh, developers in India who were extremely cheap. And, um, they never got any deliverables. <laughs> so, so we'll talk, we'll, we can talk about outsourcing. And I think in order to outsource successfully, you need to have every single step that I outlined so far, including prototyping, including validation. When you outsource, you cannot leave anything to chance, mm-hmm. right? So the communication 
uh, gaps increase dramatically when you outsource because you're not sitting in the same room with the people. You can't look at them. You can't track as well. So you have to sp- follow everything that I'm teaching at TechSpeak, all the steps that I mentioned so far. You absolutely have to implement them in order to have outsourcing be successful. And all of these steps apply to all forms, of, whether software or a website or mobile apps or some kind of cloud-based solution. All of them are come under the same eight-step uh, theme and rubric? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so step number five is where you pick the right technology. And Wait, we're getting close to eight. Right? Yeah. <laughs> We're getting close to eight. So step number five is picking the right technology. So now you've hired your developer. You're going to work with them to pick the right solution. And uh, the big mistake here that entrepreneurs make is building the perfect solution, right? They want to they want to custom code everything. It has to be perfect. We're going to take a lot of time to build it. And that's a big mistake, especially if you're just validating your idea. You're not sure if it's going to survive six months down the line. What you want to do is use absolutely anything, third-party applications, uh, APIs, like whatever is out there to put together a solution as quickly as possible. Explain what an API is. An API stands for Application Programming Interface, and it allows you to connect to third-party solutions uh, from uh, and, and use them without having to write code from scratch. So, for example, if you have a membership site and you want to accept payments, you don't have to implement a payment system and build it from scratch. You can use uh, something like Chargeify or Stripe, which are two companies that provide payment solutions and connect through their API to be able to charge credit cards. So it's almost like automating part of the process. Absolutely. It's all, uh, I would call it outsourcing. Right. Right. So outsourcing different parts of your business and only focusing on your core. Right. So the idea behind early stage businesses is trying to get the solution out the door as quickly as possible so that you can learn as quickly as possible. Now, forgive me, do women tend to want to make things more perfect more frequently than men do in your experience? I, I would have to take a guess. Yes. Although it's a, it's a problem across the board. I think uh, this type of thinking, what I call lean thinking and failing fast and launching quickly until not until it's not perfect, is a personality trait. So if you're a perfectionist, you have a hard time putting anything out there that's not pretty, that's not perfect. Or if you don't the, like to lose control. And if you don't like to lose control. So I think it's more based on personality. I think in general, women are of that type of trait. So that I think that's why they probably would fall more into that category, but it's not a man versus a woman kind of thing, I think. Right. So uh, once you pick the right technology, then you need to take your big solution, right? So we prototype the entire app, but what you need to do is create what I call the MVP, the minimal viable product. And so you take the minimum amount of features that will still provide value to your customers and then you launch that. So if you have 20 different features in your ultimate product, you probably can launch with three. And most of the time we think that um, we need more and more and more, uh, but in order to launch quickly, you have to pick the three most important, the five most important and launch that, and then continue to work on the rest but as soon as you launch, you can start to collect customer feedback and you can start learning 
on what should be built next. Is that mostly for customer feedback or just to get some revenue in the door? Both. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, the next step is um, delivering your projects using agile project management. And this is the key to really making sure that your projects get delivered on time and on budget. Agile project management is the ability for you to deliver code in sprints, in short periods of time. So they could be a week, they could be two weeks. So instead of coding something for six months to a year, what you do is you take that six-month project and break it down into one-week sprints. And at the end of each week, you will have a complete piece of product to test. Right? So talking about minimizing mistakes and uncovering problems that are going up, that are going on between developers and non-developers, right? You can test something every single week. How does that relate to the two or three features that you are focused on? So when you, when you have this one-week one sprint, how does that get you ahead of the game in terms of the features you're trying to either get out there right away or add to? So those two or three features that we talked about that you're launching, they will go into a project, right? So you'll launch at the end of the two or three features. But in order to get to that, you have to still build those, right? So you build them in one-week sprints so that you can continuously test to make sure that you're getting to your goal fast enough. So you're saying don't wait to the end of everything where one little thing will collapse and, and then it's a widget that you didn't even notice six weeks back. Absolutely. So the woman that I mentioned at the beginning of the program with uh, $60,000, if she had done agile project management, she would have been able to see that the woman who was scamming her is not doing anything because at the end of the week she would have she would have been able to see working code right and that's that's really the key to be able to uh, making sure especially when you're outsourcing uh, whether they're next to you or in the united states or in another country is a way for you to ensure that they are actually working and doing things so what's the uh are we up to seven or eight so we're now now up to eight And step number one is uh, a technical term. We'll call it continuous deployment. Let's let's hold that one for uh, after the break, and we're going to take one last break and then come back for, what was it? Step number nine. (laughs) You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. 
Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back with the Women's Playbook. Our guest today is the very erudite Nelly Yusupova, who's helping us with tech speak for non-tech entrepreneurs and a very clear path to launching so that you can move your business forward. We were uh, having about 10 steps that Nelly had broken down for us, and we're getting to the ones that are um, almost ready to launch. So um, the next one has to do with continuous deployment. Yes. So continuous deployment is... um, works hand-in-hand with agile project management that we just discussed. The idea of taking a project, breaking it up into sprints, and then at any moment in time, as you start to get feedback continuously, you can change what's coming up in the next sprint at any point in time. And that's the agility of the business that we are talking about. In the 21st century, uh, things are changing so quickly what you thought might be the next feature that you're building could completely change after the next sprint. Makes a lot of sense because one of my questions had to do with how do you keep up with everything? You have maybe a year or six months that you're developing a business and in that time, who knows how many iterations you may need and each time the technology is evolving and changing and so what you're saying is take that in bite size and then you can adjust and that's what you're calling agile technology. Exactly. And that's the real power of lean and agile going so hand in hand is that you can understand what's going on in the market. You can understand what the customer feedback is telling you and then make decisions on what product and solutions you're going to build to address those as quickly as possible. Is there an average time in your um, in your knowledge that it would take to go through all these and then actually launch? I know it matters whether we're talking website or whether we're talking e-commerce and so on, but is there a, an average time? So um, there is no average time per se, but I'll give you some uh, benchmarks. So depending on how many people work on your team, so if you're one developer versus two, so those will affect your timing. Um, Also your budget and how much you're paying. But for the very first time, so let's say this is the very first time you're launching a product. If it takes you more than three months to build and launch, you're taking too long. Really? Yes. Your very first minimal viable product should take you less than three months to build. If it's taking you long, uh, longer than that, you need to cut out features. You're building more than you need. Wow. I wouldn't have thought that fast. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving forward with continuous deployment, this is a way for you to taking the code that you write and introducing it into your production, right? So 
the there's a development server where your developers write the code and test it and all of that. And then we have the production server. The ability for you to move code quickly from the development server to the production server is really important when you're agile and moving quickly and iterating. And so are we talking theory to practice? Is that what you mean? Uh, no, this is, this is when you uh, developers write the code, you test it on the development server, and then you need to put it into the live server, the production server, so your customers have access to those features. Okay. Right? So that's the continuous deployment is the ability for you to figure out how to quickly create a process that moves your code from uh, from development to production without breaking other code that's already been tested and used by customers. So integrating. Integrating the code. Absolutely. And the last step is also very important. So step number 10 is tracking and analytics. Launching the product. That's the hard one. Yes. Launching the product is actually the easy step, right? Once you launch the product, you need to put in metrics. Number one, in order to put in metrics, you need to understand and set goals and define the metrics, right? Um, once you set the metrics, you need to make sure that you're continuously tracking them. And there's so many different tracking tools that you can use. You have to have Google Analytics. That's the basics. And then you also need to have um, uh, Crazy Egg is one that allows you to see where people are clicking, right? When you look at those analytics, you can refine your product and continuously learn and improve it based on whether or not people are seeing your features and seeing how many of them are actually clicking on the things you want to click. And this is where you learn and continue to improve the product. So give me some benchmarks that, that, that I can hang my hat on. Um, for instance, if it's an e-commerce site, should I be mostly concerned with traffic numbers? Should I be concerned with how much, uh, you know, clicks that are converted into sales? Should I be uh, revenue sensitive? And if it's on social media, is it, you know, it's not enough that people just are going to come to the site and look, say I'm an e-commerce site, I need to have that revenue coming in. What what kind of metrics make sense with what kind of business? So uh, every business has different benchmarks. Uh, if you're an e-commerce site, you need to focus on converting people to buy. That's your goal. So uh, whether your strategy is social media or newsletters or even just driving people through paid search, you have to set it up so that when people land on your product page or uh, that they are actually buying it. And if they're not buying it, you need to figure out why. So that's, that's the, that, the, and that would have to do, but that's what I'm trying to figure out. So how do you, is it because they're coming from, um, some, some search that is not, uh, enough, they're not the right customer. So if you sell a sailboat in Maryland, they're coming from California, they're going to click right off. So there has to be some kind of local search in that regard. But, but other than that, how do you actually decide whether the product and the visual and the price is right? when you have all these other variables? So there is something called uh, a landing page optimization. Uh, There is a tool called Optimizely, which is very easy to use for people even who are not uh, writing code. It allows you to look at the page that is your page and move elements from around the page and then test different variations of 
your page. So the headline at the bottom versus on the side, the button colors green versus blue, uh, all kinds of different variations. And can you do this simultaneously or it has to be one by one? Yep, you can do it simultaneously. And what it does, the software is pretty amazing because what it does is it keeps the calculations and it will eventually tell you which is the best combination for converting your users. That's pretty special. Yeah. So there's lots of different tools that we talk about at TechSpeak. There's so many things that you can do uh, to keep track of analytics. I think that that's something that entrepreneurs forget. They they always pat themselves on the back once they launch the product. But that, to me, is just the beginning because you now actually need to make sure that people are using it. Well, also, there's there are so many cases where everything is working and fine, and then three months later, something blows up, whether it's a, it's a recession or some product that comes out that's competing with yours. So you always have to be willing to fail. Is that right? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, failure is oftentimes framed in a very negative way for us. When we grow up as children, our parents punish us when we get a bad grade or when we try something and we fail. We're always reprimanded when we fail, right? So we always have a negative emotion to it. I want people to reframe failure into a positive thing because all of the steps that I outlined today are all about learning quickly and failing fast. Because the faster you can fail, the sooner you can learn, the sooner you can find the path to success. So when I call the strategies is, is failing, uh, failing, 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 so that you can get to the success quickly. Without failure and without failing fast and without failing cheap, you won't be able to learn quickly. But you have you have a very um, analytic and experienced approach. Um, I I know several people who say failure just takes the heart right out of them. They're just a little puddle on the floor, and they have to get over it emotionally. And you're just saying, pick yourself up and get out there. This is like the way you learn computer science. Is that it? Absolutely. And and I'm not saying like I failed a lot. Um, I'm not saying that failure feels good, right? It doesn't. Um, the 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 big thing that we need to learn how to do as entrepreneurs is get up fast from failure. So if you had a bad day, go sulk in your bedroom and then come back the next day with a plan. A lot of failures oftentimes present us with opportunities, new opportunities. But if we are so emotionally connected to our failure, we will not be able to see the opportunities. We will not be able to learn from them uh, because there's too much emotion attached to it. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. I just think failure sucks. So it sure does, but uh, it 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 will suck, and it always does. But if you reframe it a little bit, you can recover faster, and you can move forward faster. I take your point, and and I appreciate you know how you have framed it because it's good to do. So Nellie says to the startup advice says failure is the biggest opportunity to learn, and then overcoming that fear will help you in moving your business forward. And that you have to think differently about your business plan once that happens and consider the principles that will help you from a lean and agile methodology to start up. Don't forget to talk to your customers, get customer validation within three months, right? Three months, MVP. Um, and act quickly and expect at least five other people to have the same idea as you do. 
I've heard you say. Yes. So thanks so much to Nelly Yusupova. That's webgirls, W-E-B-G-R-R, not a girl, dot com. Founder of Digital Women Consultancy, digitalwoman.com, or on Twitter at Digital Woman. Next week, we're going to talk to Vicki Saunders, who has uh, written a really kind of compelling book and who does, uh, she's mentored about, uh, I don't know, she says hundreds and hundreds of women. We'll soon find out. So she's CEO, CEO, as opposed to CEO, CEO mentoring. Please join us next week on July 17th for Vicki Saunders on TalkingAlternative.com. Thanks to Nelly. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour. At 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. TalkingAlternative.com 